Um, you do have a couple big things due today. If you're, the, if you're doing the exam replacement, I know a couple people have turned that in already up here. Uh, that's due today. Um, if it's something you can turn in online, if you're doing something that can be submitted digitally, there is a Dropbox on D2L for submissions. So anytime by 6 o'clock tomorrow, as with other assignments, you can do that. And the other big one is the Solar Observation Project due today. Again, there is a Dropbox on D2L for that. Same one you use to submit solar observations throughout the semester. You can submit the project there as well. Um, if you have trouble with scanning or photographing things and you want to turn in the graphs and charts separately, you can turn those in paper copies you know, today. Uh, if you have no trouble scanning them or whatever, it's no big deal to scan them and submit. You know, if you have to submit three or four files, you can. You can submit them all in one file if you can combine everything together. I'm not picky on that as long as you've got all the files submitted there. But I know I've had some people in the past who want to submit a, don't want to try to deal with scanning it tonight, you know, when they're finishing it up, and would rather just submit the paper copies today. And you can submit part of it, just give me the graphs and stuff today, and you can submit the written part on D2L by 6 o'clock tomorrow. If you need copies made, you're welcome to come down with me after class or stop by. I can make copies of your of your stuff so you can still have a copy. You might want to refer to it while you're writing things up, but you may if you want to turn that in. So that's up to you as long as I get them. Either way, as long as I get them by 6 o'clock tomorrow, they're fine. On Wednesday, if you're doing the other extra credit assignments on the Galileo Scope one, if you're going to do any part of that, or the Historical Astronomy one, those are due Wednesday. Again, same extra credit Dropbox can be used for those on D2L. And then coming up on Friday, our last class day before the final, uh, homework 8 is due. That was the last homework assignment. And quiz 8, if all goes well, is scheduled to be in class on Friday. Um, if it doesn't go well and I end up behind, I give it to, I'll give it to you with the final. So quiz 8 is meant to be nice and easy. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you exactly, I'll tell you exactly what's on it. Um, I'll tell you right now. It's actually what I give you is a list of 12 objects. And I have you put them in order of distance from the sun. The sun is the first one. I, expect, I ask you to know all the planets, you know, including Pluto. So thank you. Take an astronomy course. Hopefully at least you can list everything in order. Uh, that gives us 10 objects if we count Pluto and the planets and the sun. That gives us 10. The other two I throw in for this class will be Alpha Centauri, a star. That's beyond the solar system, so that'll be the next to the last one. And then the Andromeda Galaxy, a galaxy which is even further beyond. So. If you can list them, put the sun there, Mercury through Pluto in the planets, add Alpha Centauri and then Andromeda Galaxy at the end, write those all down. You've got 12 out of 12 and a perfect score on the last quiz. And since we're getting to the point where I'm dropping quizzes, that 12 drops your lowest quiz score. So I'll remind you again on, on Wednesday as well, but that's what, that's what quiz 8 will be. So you know exactly what to study. Make sure you've got all the planets in order. That's one thing I want to make sure I get, get you if you've taking an astronomy course, something I think you should be able to at least do. So, And then after that, there is one more iTunes quiz that will be available final exam week. Again, another quiz will be dropped and the final exam, and that's it. Otherwise, by, by Wednesday, we should have everything up on the board for the rest of the class. So any questions on anything here? Nope. We're good. All right. Well, picture of the day for today then. Uh, stars and dust pillars, so another area of star formation that we're looking at here. And a young cluster of stars forming. You can see the hot young stars, very blue stars, and how they've kind of cleaned out, working on cleaning out a big chunk of this nebula. 
So the stars that have formed here, the first ones emitting a lot of ultraviolet radiation, a lot of energy, and just kind of cleaning it out. You can almost see the curve here where it's kind of hollowing out this whole area around it. Some areas are not quite. There's still some pillars, as it says, dust pillars sticking into this. And over here, those are the denser areas. That's where stars are still forming. It's a little bit denser there. It's got a little clump where a star or a protostar is still in the process of forming. Some of the brighter areas over here, uh, this was taken by the WISE satellite, which is an infrared satellite, is where the stars are heating up a lot of that gas. So a lot of this is a very warm area over here. A lot of the gas has been heated up and dust. And again, more areas where probably due to compression as the stars have pushed material back, more stars are going to be forming. So if we could come back in a million years or two million years, there would be a whole new, this cluster of stars wouldn't be just these stars, there'd be some more here. A couple of the most massive ones may have gone through their lives and some new stars would have formed. So the star formation is an ongoing process. It never really completely stops until you run out of gas and dust altogether. As long as there's some gas and dust, the process will continue, will continue on. But this is actually a inf nice infrared image. Again, like with others, letting us look in through that dust and really be able to see what's going on a little better deep in the nebula. So, questions before we jump from this to the universe. It's Monday, okay. <laughs> Alrighty, well here's where we were last time on Wednesday. We had a few fewer people on Wednesday, but not too bad. We were looking at the shape of space. So, if space is homogeneous, that means it's the same. Each chunk of it, each big chunk of it is the same. Then there are three things, that it, there are three possibilities for its, over, for its overall structure, how it can be structured. It can be a closed universe, meaning that it's going to collapse. It can be a flat universe, or it can be an open universe, which expands forever. So there's three things that it can do. It can either be closed, it'll collapse in on itself, meaning that as it's expanding, all these galaxies are pulling on each other, trying to slow each other down. And they'll slow, each other, they'll slow down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. If there's enough matter, if there's enough gravity there, eventually the galaxies will be expanding outward. Eventually there's enough gravity to stop them. So they'll stop. Once they stop, there's still gravity still working. They're going to start pulling back together. So if it's a closed universe, if there's enough density, then the material will come back in and that's the big crunch. Everything collapses back in on itself together. And that's where the video clip that we looked at on Wednesday of last week uh, sort of talked about that, you know, was, is our universe that we see today just one of a series of universes that have been going on for, you know, bil many billions, many trillions of years oscillating back and forth. The other option is that you know, after the Big Bang, things expanded fast enough that they're moving so fast that there's not enough gravity to, sl to stop them. Gravity will slow them down, right? No matter how much, gravity will slow it down a little bit, but it might not be able to completely stop them. And that would be an open universe that expands forever. A flat universe is just in between these. 
And that depends on the density. Closed would eventually collapse. Open expands forever. Flat expands and expands and goes slower and slower and slower and finally stops after an infinite amount of time. So it just keeps going slower and slower and you know, galaxies are expanding at you know, 50 meters per second and then 40 and then 30 and then 20 and then 10 and then 9, 8, 7, 6, 1 and then a half and then a quarter and then a tenth, then a hundredth, but never, never quite enough gravity to exactly stop. So a critical, critical density, a flat universe would be just on the very edge there, just, just barely expanding forever. So what does this mean? What do we see here? What, or what do we see with these geometries? Let's look at a closed universe. A closed universe is, we think of it as a sphere. Again, if we talked about this last time, we're thinking of d different dimensions, but it would be sort of like a sphere, a, two a sphere in two dimensions. You can travel along the surface of a sphere and never, never find a center. Never find an edge. And you can walk on that surface of that sphere as you could walk on the earth. If we started here and, you know, nice field trip, start walking. Pick a direction and just start walking. You know, keep going. Ignore the fact that we've got to walk over the oceans, you know, and that, but you'd eventually come right back to where you started. That's what we mean by a closed universe. So that if we were to send a light beam out in the universe, they would eventually come around and hit us in the back. Take a long, long time, right? The universe isn't tiny. If the universe is, you know, 13 billion light years in size, then it's going to take it 13, you know, all that time for the light beam to come around. It's going to take it a long, long time. So it's not, don't shine your light beam out and sit there and wait, because it's not going to happen instantaneously. It takes light a long time to travel. But it also means that if we have a closed universe, if you were to take a spaceship out and head it out in one direction and just keep going, eventually you'd end back up where you started. It would be closed in much as the Earth's surface is a closed system, except instead of there being you know, flat, uh, being flat in or closed in terms of you know, looking at the surface of a sphere, you're looking at this in terms of space uh, curved into extra, extra dimensions. Now what do we have? The answer for where our universe is, you know, the big question is, is where, where are we? Which one, of these, which one of these cases is correct? And it really depends on the density of the universe. So if we have a high density universe, then the universe is closed. If we've got lots and lots of matter, then the universe is closed. If we have a low density universe, then the universe is open. Again, what I went, goes back to what I was talking. If you have a lot of matter, you've got a lot of gravity, you have enough gravity to perhaps slow, the, stop, slow and stop those galaxies. If you have a very low density universe, then there's just not enough gravity. You can slow things down, but you can't stop them. So the first, the start for this would be looking at the matter we can see. Look at the stars, look at the nebulae, look at the galaxies, and count up how much material we can see. If we add all that up, we're at about, I think the number is around 4% right now. 
There's about 4%. If we just look at everything we see, everything we've studied so far, you know, planets, stars, galaxies, nebulae, dark nebulae, all the, everything we can see, anything that emits any kind of light. That doesn't mean visible light. It could be emitting radio waves. It could be emitting x-rays. Anything that we can see, that's about 4% of the amount of matter that's needed to stop the expansion. Looks like we're expanding forever based on that. But that's just based on what we can see, just on the luminous matter, things that I can detect. There is also other types of matter. And we talked previous chapter about dark matter. And we know that there is a lot of dark matter out there in the universe. Not just a little bit, but you know, in our galaxy, it was what, you know, three, two or three galaxies worth of material just for our galaxy. For clusters of galaxies, it was 10, 50, 100 clusters, 100 more galaxies for each galaxy that you see in dark matter. That's not counted in this, so there is a lot more matter. There's a lot more matter, but is it enough? Is it enough to turn us from an open universe, which is what it looks like if we just count what we can see? Go out there, count all the stars at night, estimate their masses, count all the galaxies, you know, use deep telescopes counting the furthest things that we can possibly see, adding up every single bit of matter that we can see. If we just look at that, we're open and we're expanding forever. Let's see, we have to see what the dark matter is going to be able to do. And it's not going to be able to do enough for us. It's not enough material. It gets us up to maybe, uh, I think it gets us up about 30%. About, about, about to 30% or so, if we add the luminous and the dark matter together. Closer, right? So we're 30% of the way there, instead of just the amount of material we need to close the, un close the universe, to have it be a closed universe. So we only now need about, you know, for every bit of luminous matter and dark matter that we see, we need about two more of those. If we, want to, if we want the universe to be flat and a little bit more than that to actually have it closed. Now does it really matter? Not necessarily. I mean, some, some people have, you know, it seems more appropriate for them that the universe, there's this beginning and ending to the universe. If it expands forever, you know, when does the universe end? It never does. It just keeps going on and on. And if you could come back 30 trillion years from now, you'd have a much bigger universe expanding way out, way out there. But that's where we are right now. But we're not quite done yet. We've gotten the density from 4% up to 30%. But what we're going to find is that all of our, a lot of measurements that we make tell us that the universe actually looks very flat. The measurements that we make show us that, you know, based on other observations that we make, that the universe looks to be kind of flat. So it seems like it's very close to the critical density. Well, if the critical density would be 100% here, if you're at 30%, something else is missing. We're still missing something else. Even if it's not critical and it's still open, we're missing a lot of more material in the universe, even counting in the dark matter. Well, how can we make some measurements here and what can we see? The, well, the next to last rung on our distance ladder was the type 1 supernova. That's the white dwarf star tears itself apart, gains a little bit too much material, becomes unstable, and rips itself apart. We like those 
because they're all exactly the same. Every single type 1 supernova is a white dwarf that was just 1.4 times the mass of the sun. Type 2 supernova might have been 50 times the mass of the sun, might have been 30, might have been 35. They're all different. All those type 1 supernovae were exactly the same. So we can use them to measure what's going on with these very distant galaxies. We can see them out towards the edge of the universe. What we expect to see is that the universe should be decelerating. Right? No matter what, whether it's open or closed or flat, doesn't matter. Our galaxy is pulling on all these other galaxies. All these other galaxies are pulling on ours. They're trying to pull each other back together. Maybe there's not enough to stop the expansion, but they should be slowing down. So when we look at these distant galaxies, we'd expect to see that the ones that, were, that are very far away were moving faster than Hubble's law predicts. Hubble's law would predict they're moving at such a speed. Well, we'd expect they were moving faster in the distant past because they've slowed down since then. So it makes, that makes sense. If we try to launch a rocket here from the Earth and you give it some velocity, if you give it enough, it will escape. It will always be slowing down, though. It's always going to be slowing, da slowing down a little bit. So we expect that what we would see is that everything is, slow, everything is slowing down and everything was moving faster in the past and is moving slower today. Right? Gravity, what other force do we have that works over such large distances? None of the other forces of uh, nature really do anything over that large of a distance. So everything should slow down and we'd then be able to make this measurement to tell us a little bit more about the history of the universe. So astronomers have done that. They've looked for type 1 supernovae. You've got to wait for them to occur. So you have to watch these distant galaxies for a type 1 supernova to happen to occur. Luckily, there's lots and lots of galaxies out there to look at. And you can try to make those measurements and look at how much the universe has been slowing down. If we look at that, that gives us a way to try to estimate, you know, can we figure out exactly what's going on here in the universe? So we're trying to make, try to make those measurements, look for type 1 supernovae. You can't pick your galaxies. You've got to wait for the supernovae to occur. You can't just you know, sit there and wait for, for one specific galaxy you'd love to get the distance to for a supernova to go off in it. You really have to just take what, what comes. And what we find, though, when we look at those very distant galaxies, and these are some examples of them here. You know, galaxy before, galaxy with the supernova. There's the galaxy. There's with the supernova. There's another one, and there's the supernova that occurred. When we make those measurements, there's Hubble's, Hubble's law, and we'd expect that this reddish line up here would show a decelerating universe. So you'd expect as you measure things further and further away, this is the distance. As you get further and further away, you'd expect that things were decelerating. Gravity is slowing them down. That's not what we're finding. We're finding that instead of slowing down, and if you look at all the dots, all the measurements that have ma been made there, it's not just one or two, it's a whole bunch of them, seem to show that the universe is actually accelerating. It was moving slower in the past and faster now. What is going to cause the universe to, to not just expand, we know it's getting bigger. This is the acceleration. So it's not just getting bigger, slower, and slower, which would be a decelerating universe. Right? You're getting further, you're, when you're decelerating, you're driving a car and you're decelerating, you're hitting the brakes, you're still getting further away from where you were just at a slower rate. This would be like hitting your brakes, but getting further, but going faster and faster. You're, getting, you're going at a faster and faster rate. 
So galaxies were moving very slow early on after the Big Bang, slower than they're moving today. And that was a big uh, confusion for astronomers. You wouldn't expect that because gravity slows everything. It makes logical sense that everything should be slowing down. Gravity's pulling on everything. What is going to cause them to move faster over time and not slower? One of the explanations for this uh, goes back to actually to Einstein. Um, Einstein had, when he came up with his great equations, a constant that came out in them. And the constant was the cosmological constant. And depending on the value of that, you can actually change the shape of the universe. It's kind of a wide open number. You can just, the way the equation's solved, there's this constant that you can put in, uh, the way the mathematics works. So there is a constant. And you can adjust that to try to fit. But if you have, for example, a positive value for this cosmological constant, then the universe expands forever. And the bigger the cosmological constant, the faster it expands. And it will actually continue, expand faster. And it's looked at as being a vacuum pressure. It's also something that is now called dark energy. So if we add in dark energy, that can actually add more material. Remember that through Einstein, energy and matter are the same. They're related to each other. But there is this dark energy that combines a lot more than the luminous matter, a lot more than the luminous and dark matter combined. There is this dark energy that was detected a couple decades ago. And again, dark energy, why is it called dark energy? You can't just go out there and look, right? Most energy, we can look there and see, we can see the sun. It's glowing with energy. We can see the galaxies. We can see the quasars. We can see them glowing with energy. This we can't. That's why we call it dark. We only see its effects. Like we see the effects of dark matter through gravity. We see the effects of dark energy through the expansion of the universe and the acceleration. The fact that the universe is actually moving faster and faster over time. So it's a, what we think perhaps is a vacuum pressure that we call dark energy that is pushing material apart. So now instead of the material going slower and slower, it's actually going faster and faster over time. So here's kind of a one, one slide showing the history of the universe as to what happened. We still have to come to a couple parts of this. But from the Big Bang there, everything down at a point, expanding outward today. Uh, very rapid expansion at first. If you see here, it was expanding very, very quickly, getting much larger. Then it kind of slowed down. That's what we'd expect. That's when gravity was doing what we thought it was going to do. It was slow things down you know, in the very distant past. Here's where we are right now. But gravity, would, we'd expect gravity to slow things down. And now we're just getting to the point where things are beginning to accelerate. But what happens with the way the cosmological constant works is that depending on the exact value, and what it looks like is that the universe would expand faster and faster and faster. So it's not just getting a little bit faster, but it's even getting bigger and bigger. So the universe is getting bigger and bigger at a larger and larger rate over time. That means that if all of this is right, and if there's not something new in physics that we don't understand yet, very quite possible that there's a lot of stuff that we do not completely understand about how gravity works on such tremendous scales, that we're eventually in for a very cold, dark universe. 
It's not just expanding, but it's expanding faster and faster. Eventually, all the galaxies would be so far away from each other, dying out, you'd only be able to see the very close things to you. you know, we'd be down to just our galaxy eventually <laughs> being the universe, as we thought. Not in our lifetime. We're talking trillions of years from now as things continue to expand. But that's sort of a quick history from a very rapid expansion early on, leveling off, slowing down, and then instead of continuing to level off or continuing to contract back down, expanding outward at a much greater, at a much greater rate. Now, what does that mean for what will happen? Not necessarily a whole lot. It doesn't necessarily mean that the universe is open either. That's the other thing. There's some other things that we'll come to here uh, today and then again on Wednesday as we finish this up. So there are some other things that can explain this too and may help us have either a closed or, as it looks, again, a flat universe. So here's kind of the breakdown as to what we have. I was a little, I overestimated dark matter a little bit, but pretty much what we studied in the course, everything that we've studied in this class is about 4% of the matter and energy in the universe. That's it. Everything Again, that's planets, stars, galaxies, us, everything. You add in all that, all the planets, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the quasars, all the nebulae. Everything that we've looked at on the pictures of the day, everything that we've looked at in different images in the class, that's this 4%. The last chapter we started, we talked a little bit about dark matter. You can't detect it, that's why we call it dark. That's maybe about 23% of the universe. So together that's 27, I'd estimated 30, pretty good there. The rest of it is this dark energy. Over 70% of the universe is this dark energy. So that's a lot of material, a lot of energy there that is involved that we cannot see. Again, dark. This is all the stuff we cannot see. And it doesn't mean we have to use a radio telescope. That doesn't help. It's not emitting radio waves. It doesn't mean it's, using, it's emitting a, you know, x-rays or gamma rays. That would be detectable. That all falls in this normal matter. We looked at an infrared picture today. That falls in normal matter because we can detect it with, our, with, with some kind of electromagnetic radiation. Dark matter we detect through gravity. Dark energy we detect through the expansion of the universe. But we can't actually you know, physics is not something we can physically see. So what is the age and history of the universe? This is again, it depends on that density. We're kind of right in the middle right now. Everything comes together. And where you are in the universe, if you've got the critical density, you just keep expanding forever. If you've got a high density, it reaches some maximum size and then comes back in. If you have empty, if you have an accelerating universe, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what I was saying. All of a sudden, you're going to get very, very empty. You know, all those distant objects you know, come back in a billion years, in a trillion years. They're going to be long accelerated away. And all that's going to be left here really is our own galaxy. Uh, this is going back in history. You know, how old is the universe? There's where we are right now. And really, where the universe formed depends on what, what that value is as well. So. We really need to know how did it get to this size? How did the universe get to being as big as it actually is? There's when things formed. We know when the galaxies were forming. We know when the first earliest quasars are. We, those are things we can detect. How do they fit in and what do they tell us about the very early history of the universe? 
And that's what we're going to look at in this next section. Is sort of looking back to that very early history and looking back to the Big Bang. Again, we talked about that, showed you the video of it last time, the Big Bang. And for those who weren't here, it sort of explains the Big Bang as be, we talk about, you think of an explosion, you hear the Big Bang, you're thinking explosion, right? There's a bomb and it blows up, everything blows up and pieces expand out into space. That's not what the Big Bang was. The Big Bang was an explosion of space. So instead of just, instead of something exploding out into the universe, it created the universe. So there was nothing else outside of it to expand into. There was actually nothing before the Big Bang. No space, no time, no matter, no energy, nothing. And that's what the Big Bang did. It was exploding out into that. And we can still see the remnants of it today. We can see some evidence of the Big Bang today. And in fact, it was discovered back in 1964. Uh, we, We discovered what was called the cosmic microwave background. Discovered quite by accident, as a lot of scientific discoveries are. It wasn't something that people were specifically looking for. Uh, The two radio astronomers here, their radio telescope is in the background. A little bit of a different style. This is actually a horn-shaped telescope. This is the detector here. And then it would focus radio waves down in through the back of the telescope there. But what they were doing was they were trying to make very accurate measurements. Scientists are always trying to get the best accuracy they can out of their instruments. So they were looking for any sources of noise they could get. Well, some, some sources of noise were here on Earth. You know, The birds decide to use that for their bathroom and you get little droppings on it and you've got to clean that off because that will cause noise. You're distorting the shape of your antenna. That's going to cause noise. You're going to get signals on Earth. right? Not as many back in 1964 as you have today, but you still had radio signals that would have been broadcasting that would have been sources of noise to them. So they'd find that. You'd get noise coming from the sky. The sun is a radio source, so you'd have to take all that into account. So they'd make those measurements. They could figure out, okay, you know, where this noise is coming from, we can eliminate that. We can eliminate this sort of noise. We can clean up our antenna. We can account for the sun. So we can account for the noise, we can take it out. But they found a little bit of noise that they could not get rid of. They were trying to get rid of that last bit. And this noise came no matter where they were looking in the sky. So it wasn't some source of the sky. It didn't matter where they looked. They got the same amount of noise. Didn't matter what time they looked. So it wasn't like something was broadcasting at certain times here on Earth. And it was always the same amount, same intensity. Not very much, but a significant amount there. What they were detecting is they're really detecting the energy of that of the Big Bang that occurred. They're detecting those photons that were left over from the Big Bang itself. So this was the first, you know, the Big Bang had been talked about before this. This is a prediction that the Big Bang would make, that this energy would be left over, left over and would still be detectable. And because the Big Bang occurred everywhere at once, Right? Not exploding into the universe, but the universe being created with it. It's there. It's everywhere. It's here with us right now. It permeates the entire universe. Now, most areas, right? it's overwhelmed here. If we try to detect the residue from the Big Bang here, we're overwhelmed by you know, body heat and temperature and atmosphere and everything else going on. But when you look out into space, there's a lot of areas where there is nothing else. And you can then detect this area. And that's what these two astronomers were discovering. They discovered that little bit of energy left over. Not a lot anymore, 
Very, very stretched out photons. I think we looked last time at the expansion of the universe stretching out the photons. I uh, used the balloon as an example, right? You had the wave drawn on the balloon. If you blew up that balloon, that wave got longer and longer. That's what happens to the, universe, to the radiation here. Big Bang was incredibly energetic. It didn't create a lot of radio waves. It was creating X-rays and gamma rays. But over time, over 13, 14 billion years, it's expanded outward. They've stretched. So all of those very high energy photons have been stretched into much lower energy photons. And that's what we detect today. So how were they created? Well, it was about a second after the Big Bang. This is the one time in astronomy we talk about really, really short times is the Big Bang. You actually talk about things like seconds and uh, years. We don't really talk about that kind of time here. We're used to talking about many millions or billions of years. But very early on, one second, they were extreme energy. So for one second we would have had gamma rays being emitted. Would have had a shape like this. In terms of spectrum, that's the frequency. So you'd have very high energy gamma rays. The peak is, of it is in the gamma rays and then further out. Remember we looked at these for stars. You looked at a very similar curve for stars, except the peak was in the visible. Well, this was, so this, you can think of this as a tremendously hot star. The whole universe was there at one second after the Big Bang. After time, the universe expands and it redshifts everything. Everything gets shifted further and further to the red. Well, if you're in gamma rays, you're going to head out towards X-rays and ultraviolet. And then after only 100,000 years, right? A long time for us. When you think about 100,000 years in the history of the universe, 14 billion years, 100,000 years is like that. It's nothing. That gamma rays had been shifted down to the optical. That means if you could go back to 100,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe would be incredibly bright to us. It's just glowing. It's just, it's just bright light everywhere, visible light, because it had shifted that far. It had gone from being gamma rays to being optical light after about 100,000 years. After a little bit more time, after 10 million years, it was shifted out into the infrared. So no longer visible to us. We wouldn't have been able to see it. After 10 million years, it would still be there. We'd be able to detect it, but it would still, but it would still be there. Today, it shifted way out into the radio part of the spectrum. If you recall, that, that curve told you the temperature, told you about the temperature of the star, right? Hotter star had the peak further to the blue. Cooler star had the peak further to the red. Optic, uh, a star like the sun would peak at about 6,000 degrees. Very hot stars at 30,000, cool stars at 3,000. When we look at this for the microwave background, it's the equivalent of a temperature of about 3 degrees. 3 degrees, not Fahrenheit, not Celsius, 3 degrees Kelvin. Uh, so negative 270 degrees Celsius, negative 400 and something Fahrenheit. About as cold as you can possibly get. But that means that space isn't completely cold. There's this little bit of residual temperature from the Big Bang left over that fills the entire universe. So there's always that little bit of energy left there. The temperature, even out in empty space, is not zero. If you get out to the emptiest space, you're going to get just. The only thing that will be left is the radiation left over from the Big Bang. So we can detect, but we can detect that now. So it was first detected back in the 60s. We can make very accurate measurements now 
of how much energy is being emitted at each wavelength. And what we see is something like this. If all graphs came out like this, science would be real nice and easy. The blue line is what you'd predict, is what's predicted for a black body of a certain temperature, about 2.7 degrees, which is about where this comes out. The black dots are measurements. So if your solar observations were perfect, the graphs you're working on, you know, you'd have my curve there and you'd have all your points sitting right on it. <coughs> Science usually doesn't work out that nicely. I mean, this is amazing how accurate that we can measure it that accurate and that it fits to a very high precision. So we've been able to really fit and see that it's a great verification for the Big Bang, that the Big Bang did occur um, back there, you know, 13, 14 billion years ago. We've been able to measure it and everything fits up perfectly, essentially. Fits up just right exactly where we'd expect it to fit. Now, what happened over time as the universe expanded, at very early stages, it was all radiation. It was all dominated by radiation. So this, this is another chart. This is showing the time from the Big Bang. There's the Big Bang down at the corner there. And there is a billion years. There's 10 billion years. So, you know, we're out in this edge right now. That's right, this ends right about where we are right now. That's where those lines end. That's about where we stand in the universe. Very early on, the universe was dominated by radiation. Told you, gamma rays. All the gamma rays from the Big Bang, that's a lot of energy. So for 10,000 years, 10, 50,000 years or so, that's everything. That was the universe. It was all radiation. There was a little bit of matter there too, scattered around. But in terms of where all of the matter and energy were, were combined, it was all dominated by radiation. At, at one point, after about you know, 50, 100,000 years, <coughs> the radiation was dropping off. The universe was expanding. That radiation was going from being gamma rays to being x-rays to being ultraviolet to being visible light. Eventually the matter started to become dominant. So there was actually more matter. Density still decreasing because it's expanding outward. But there is, but the matter was, became dominant. So that's the era, that's most of the stuff that we look at. When we look back at time, we're seeing most of the matter-dominated era of the universe. At another point here, after several billion years, there was another crossover. If you see this green line here, that's the dark energy. Its density doesn't change. It's not very big, but it does not change as the universe expands. It's always there. It permeates the entire universe and causes, causing the acceleration. So eventually, as all these other ones decline, as matter and energy, the normal things we're used to, decline, it just sits there waiting and waiting and waiting. Eventually, dark energy becomes dominant in the universe. And that's the point we're getting to right now. That's why we're seeing this acceleration. As the universe gets bigger and bigger, matter gets more spread out throughout the universe. Energy gets more spread out through the universe. Dark energy stays exactly the same. Very low density, but eventually these get even lower. So it dominates radiation here. It starts to dominate matter here. And that's what's happening, happening now. That's why the universe is beginning to accelerate. It's moving faster and faster and faster away. So all the galaxies not only are moving away from each other, but are now moving away at a faster rate. 
And that's what we've reached. We've reached this era that is dominated by dark energy. And barring anything else we don't know, that continues. Continues to expand outward. So the universe will continue to expand. Get fur- everything will get further and further apart over time. Again, it also comes down to what we know about universe or other universes or things like that. So there's a lot, little bit more to it than just that. But that's the era we're reaching right now. Is really dominated by this dark energy based on all the observations that we've, that we've made so far. Alright, I'm going to just get started on this here and then we'll finish this up on Wednesday. Where did everything come from? Where did all the material that we see come from? Well, I've told you supernovae pretty much form everything. The simplest atom is hydrogen. That was able to form right after the Big Bang as things started to cool off. You were able to form hydrogen. That's because it's very simple. All you need is one proton and one electron and you have a hydrogen atom. There's nothing else to make. Once the protons are created, hydrogen atoms will naturally form. After that, remember I said this was like a giant star? You know, 6,000 degrees? Well, if the surface of, quote, surface of it was 6,000 degrees, inside, earlier on, would have been even higher temperatures. And you would have had the universe eventually, earlier, at temperatures where nuclear fusion could occur. This may look familiar. Maybe you tried to block it out and forget the proton-proton chain. But that's essentially what went on in the very early universe. Two two, uh, protons, two protons combining, forming energy, forming higher particles, forming up to helium. This reaction that we looked at when we talked about the sun can actually form normal helium. The The universe itself was that hot. That nuclear fusion went on not just within a star, not in galaxies, but within, throughout the entire universe all at once. So the universe was essentially a giant star fusing hydrogen into helium. But a giant expanding star. So this, didn't, this era did not last very long. In a very short time we produced a universe that was about 75% hydrogen and about 25% helium. By the weight of the atoms, if you count the number of atoms, uh, hydrogen becomes even more dominant. 90% of the atoms in the universe were hydrogen. 10% about were helium. And at the, after that point, the universe had just expanded so far that it cooled off. And if you get the universe down below 10 million degrees, this doesn't work, right? We talked about that with the sun. This does not work if the universe is, cools off too much. But we were able to form hydrogen and helium. We weren't able to form anything heavier. Right? Earlier on, the temperatures would have been hot enough that you could have formed heavier elements, but it just cooled off way too quickly. You didn't build up enough helium to be able to fuse into carbon. So the very early universe only formed hydrogen with going through deuterium and forming helium. And that was it. That was all that was there in the, in the early universe. Now, the deuterium you remember it's 10 million degrees to fuse hydrogen into helium. Deuterium actually burns even at lower temperatures. So most of it fused immediately into helium, but a little bit of it was left over. A little bit was left over from the Big Bang as as it expanded too quick and cooled off enough that the deuterium didn't have time to fuse. The vast majority of it became helium immediately because helium is much more stable and requires higher temperatures to fuse. Deuterium is not formed in stars. 
Wait, I just told you we use the proton-proton chain. Deuterium is formed. It's formed and it's immediately, it burns at so much lower temperatures, you only need a couple million degrees, not 10 or 15, that any deuterium that forms can be burned out really, really quick, converted into helium. So any deuterium that we see today is primordial. What does primordial mean? It means it's left over from the Big Bang. So if you detect deuterium here, that is material that is left over from the Big Bang. So that's some of the material that was fusing. It was in the process of fusing from hydrogen to helium. And the universe just cooled off before it was able to finish fusing. So all of the hydrogen we see is from the Big Bang. A lot of the helium, some of that came from other places. And all the deuterium. So all of the hydrogen that we see, all of the deuterium, and a lot of the helium that we see is still left over from the Big Bang. Everything else, you know, carbon, iron, copper, uh, zinc, what else? Neon, lead, gold, everything else that makes us up, or everything else in the universe, silicon that makes up the rocks, that's all from supernovae. That all required more energy later on in the history of the universe. None of that came from the very, very early times. So at some point, you formed these protons and you formed electrons. Eventually, they combine together. So you have protons, you have electrons, they want to combine together. If the temperature is too high, they can't because they keep getting ripped off of each other. So if you have very hot stars, that's why we didn't see hydrogen lines in the very hottest stars, because there was just too much energy there. They were 30,000 degrees and that was enough energy to keep ripping those electrons off. So when the universe was hotter than that, you wouldn't have actually formed atoms. You would have had protons and you would have had electrons, but you wouldn't have actually had them combining together. Once the universe cooled off enough, they would have combined together. And that's, this is kind of a diagram of the universe looking out, you know, many billions of light years out towards the edge of the universe. Everything in here in this blue area is transparent. We can see it. So if we look out through this, we can see, you know, planets. We can see planets real close to us. We can see stars. We can see galaxies. We can see quasars at the edge of the universe. Before everything recombined, which we call the decoupling, that matter and energy decoupled, everything was opaque. Opaque meaning you can't see through it. Right? We can't see into the next room because the wall is opaque. It not, not, didn't let any energy come through. So all the energy that was out there, we can't see directly back there. We can see just this surface, just this edge, and that's what fills the entire universe. That is the background radiation, is what occurred when everything decoupled, when the atoms actually combined together and allowed light to finally flow through the universe. Again, we're talking very short times after the Big Bang. We're talking you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, long before galaxies or anything else formed. But that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that edge of the universe. <coughs> now. Trying to draw these pictures is really hard because that edge actually fills everything. That edge isn't an edge, that edge includes us, you know, from other points of view. It is, we're seeing just a cross section, really, we're seeing just our part of the universe that we can see in our dimension. So it's really, it makes it look like it's all very far away, distance and time-wise time -wise it is. But in terms of distance, that decoupling didn't just occur 
you know, way out there in the great distance and you know, we're far removed from it, it occurred everywhere in the universe. Just like the Big Bang occurred everywhere at once, the decoupling occurred everywhere at once. That's why we see that microwave radiation from all over the universe, everywhere that we look in the universe. So I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I got a couple more things to do with this and then we got a little bit more to finish up on Wednesday before we jump into something that's a little less mind aching usually, which we talk about life in the universe. So we'll finish that, we'll do that on Wednesday and, and Friday. Questions? No? Don't forget uh, solar observations and exam replacement if you're submitting those. I know a couple people have turned in things. If you have digital ones, those can be submitted to the drop boxes on D2L and the solar observation project as well. If anyone needs me to make copies of their graphs or charts that they want to take with them because they're going to submit everything else, um, I'd be happy to do that for you. Otherwise, I'll see everyone Wednesday.